I'm the showrunner here. Let's do this. <laughs> Hey, this is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Joe from Mipso. I just wanted to say it like that because it rhymes. That's right. That's Joe right. Terrell. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here in this lovely living room. Yeah. Um, I am going to compliment you on your mustache since you said that you kept it simply for today's episode. Yeah, I'm not really supposed that. to have a mustache because my brother's always had a mustache. It's his territory. It's his look. But I kept it for today because I just wanted... I know it's sort of silly to dress up for a podcast, but I want to look. look. Part. Yeah. I don't feel inspired on my face. We'll take a photo later. Yeah, we'll put it on the Instagrams. <laughs> cool. We can start live streaming these. Everyone knows that we bullshit for like an hour. We've been for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we would lose some listeners if they really knew you what could happened. Do two podcasts. One would be like the ramblings before the focused conversations. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting stuff. I've actually told Spencer that if we ever cared about making money on this, that we could maybe have like a thing where people pay extra if they want to hear our bullshit. Oh, yeah, your Patreon. Yeah, on our Patreon. Let's start that. Yeah. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> Well, we want to make money. We're at to stop like cussing. We're at to stop doing a lot of things for these imaginary sponsors. Mm-hmm. We should also yes. mention what's that? Oh, you said sponsors. I thought you were going to drop the Bojangles sponsorship oh. for. Yeah, today. there's a giant bag of Bojangles sitting here, which was great. <laughs> Rachel brought Bojangles for all of us, and I just had the Bobarian sausage mashup, and it was glorious. Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. Mad scientist. They should there. add that to the menu. That seems like a very North Carolina State Fair type of something. Yeah. Yeah, but taking the fair year round. Yeah, exactly. True North Carolina. What dreams are made of. The spirit follows you in your life. <laughs> we should also mention that Joe is the second Hard Tuck member oh, that yeah. we've had on since that was a big part of us starting this podcast to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's so nice to hear. Yeah, some of my favorite people and favorite people to make music with. Um, Good group. Yeah. We'll just keep checking them off the list. If people don't know, Hard Tuck is the Triangle's premier 90s cover band. 90s country cover band, although we kind of play a lot of different stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, they're the reason that we started this podcast. And so we've had Alex being them on, and then um, Kate is on our to-do list. She. Yeah, we have songs set aside for Kate. Yeah. yeah. So it'll That's happen. Great. It'll happen one day. Yeah. So tell us about like your country music jamness other than just like hard tuck. <laughs> My jamness. Your jamness. <laughs> I, was, I like to make up words on this I was podcast. born in the country music jamness. <laughs> well, I think the story is really, it's as simple as I, I grew up in North Carolina and lived That's through the 90s. Story. So even if I had been trying to avoid country music in the 90s, I don't think I could have. You know, you, yeah. it was in every Harris Teeter aisle following you around. <laughs> Every roller rink, uh, skating mm-hmm. extravaganza. I also I come from kind of a musical family, although our stuff was more along the bluegrass lines. And I, I guess I should mention my favorite band growing up was kind of gets an honorable mention in the country music, cheesy country music category, Newgrass Revival. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it's not country, it's kind of on the progressive electrified bluegrass stuff. Yeah. Well, they played on them. yeah. They played on Colin Baton Rouge Garth's version. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, which we talked about on the episode with Grant Emerson from yeah. Delta Ray. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And their greatest hits came out in the '90s, so. Oh, nice. They get in on a technicality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like Keith. Like we'll yeah. Talk about it. yeah. So I mean. My brother and I have gotten into country music more lately in the sense of, in the last few, five years or so, getting back into the stuff that we dismissed as kids, I think. Because I think my relationship with country, if there was one when I was a kid, was that it was in the background. But it was sort of a contentious one, too, because I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to convince myself that I wasn't like the people around me and didn't mm-hmm. want to be a part of this sort of, you know, for, for lack of a better word, although this is the best word, we had that culture <laughs> that pervaded everything. But... I now I find a lot of genuine love for it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was 16, my parents were finding a, a car for me to drive around. They got to choose because it was their money, but the only thing I said was just as long as it's not a truck. Oh, no. You're not a pickup man? But, but, but now. You see what I drive now. <laughs> a really busted old 90s pickup truck. So I've come around. That's a good uh, little metaphor for, yeah, my eight-foot bed that never has to be made. There you go. That'll be the backdrop for a photo after this. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> We'll go lay in the bed of the truck and pretend we're all Joe Diffie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're all Joe Diffie at heart. <laughs> <laughs> we all wish we could be Joe Diffie. Oh, man, that would be so great. Have you bought our tickets yet? I have not. I thought what we were going It's May 18th? 18th, it's whatever that Saturday I is, go. right? Okay. Are you around? I think so. Cool. Well, Yeah. I'm 
Let's talk about that all fair. Okay. <laughs> not that we can't edit this out, but yeah. we'll, we'll end up on the eight-minute ramble about that, too. About Joe Diffie and him playing in Liberty, North Carolina, and me giving birth at the show, possibly. Oh, if you if you will it. <laughs> Careful what you think about. Well, I have to make Joe the godfather if that happens. I assume you, meant, you mean me. Yes, me too. Dual, <laughs> dual godfathers. It depends <laughs> if he Joe. comes out with a mullet or a mustache. Yeah. Mustache, it's a mustache, it's you. <laughs> Mullet, it's, it's Mr. It's, Diffie's. Actually, Pickup Man of Joe Diffie is kind of a good segue to the song we're going to talk about. Okay. Being I a love really, a seg. <laughs> a really uh, egregiously funny song. Like, it, ostentatiously trying to be funny and maybe, maybe reaching that a little mm-hmm. bit. Which, you wanna, which, you say what song? Yeah. No, this, this is your song. <laughs> okay, this is the one that I picked. It's called Me Neither from a Brad Paisley record that came out in 1999, just squeaking in, uh, called Who Needs, Who Needs Pictures. This is his debut, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was his debut. Yeah, yeah. A little yeah. baby face Brad. Yeah, and I don't remember the song, I don't think at all. Apparently it hit number 18, so it wasn't like a huge hit for him. And also it was like kind of as my interest in mm-hmm. country music at the time was shifting more into other stuff. Do you remember it like at the time from 99? No. I've like, discovered it since digging back into Brad. Right. And I'm a Brad head, so you got to look <laughs> at the early stuff. So... When I was reading some stuff about this song, I heard some people kind of compare it to like a Roger Miller type song too, which was interesting because yeah. I never probably not that I'm I'm not Bradhead, so I don't know <laughs> as much about his whole the breadth of his catalog. Sure, he actually covered a Roger Miller song. I think it was for some Roger Miller tribute a couple years ago. So he's definitely a Roger Miller fan. I think if you write funny country songs, if you're going for clever. Roger Miller is the best thing you could call yourself. It's the best pedigree you could hope for. That's like the real tasteful, clever. There's so many bad, awful, clever, trying to be clever ones. Right, right. Roger Miller, so it's like wishful thinking for some people to say in the the tradition of Roger Miller. But I think Brad gets it. Well, I mean, and he wrote Can't Roller Skate in a Buffalo Herd, which is a ridiculous song. But like, it's it's great. Yeah, it's not like it is, I guess, a novelty song, but like it doesn't feel like, well, you know, it's like. Yeah. And he also has just a lot of like sing songy like tall tall trees it's just like yeah that's fun, a great song fun songs that kind of manage to also be heartfelt so it's, yeah. it's a hard balance to strike i think and also perhaps most importantly he was the rooster in the disney absolutely. robin hood absolutely Aww. yeah yeah which was i think why when i started hearing roger miller songs after growing up with that movie it was like oh this song like really hits home I and I, yeah voice. i was like why am i why is this so comfortable to me and i'm like oh yeah it's <laughs> totally the, the that rooster. every town has its ups and downs <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's a great song yeah. Yeah. Oh, now I want to go watch that. I the funniest thing about that movie is I hear consistently from women my age said that like the fox was like their first crush. <laughs> you could do worse. Uh, yeah, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> it's kind of weird that your first crush is a Disney cartoon, but I mean, I could see it. He was a good looking fox. <laughs> He's foxy. Yeah. Oh, man. There's okay. so many great old funny country songs that I think fall into the good category. Yeah. I don't know. It's something that country music has always done for whatever reason. Like, um, you're the reason our kids are ugly. I think, especially in the 90s, there was kind of extremes of ridiculous, funny songs and then, like, taking themselves way too seriously mm-hmm. songs. It's just, like, so sad and, like, way over the top of that. And then there's, like, the funny side. Yeah. And I think those are, like, kind of the two extremes that got really honed in on a lot in the 90s. So yeah, and you said you want to talk about this one because it is different from the 90s country territory we covered. Yeah, mostly because it's a great example of someone just really on the nose going whole hog towards being as funny as they can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also, there's something really satisfying about the punchline landing. And a lot of country songs are constructed on that thing, on the punchline, even when it's not for humor's sake. Right, right. Like this right. one is. Yeah, and you, yeah. And you, it's also one of the ones where you know that it's coming and every time he says me neither. It's like a good example of how when a country song like lands, it just feels real so satisfying. Yeah. And I love most of all the line at the very end. Uh, Don't you think it's time for me to end the song? Me neither. Then just goes into a five minute guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, just like instrumental break, another instrumental break, another instrumental break, and that's the rest of the song. It's just solos. That's great. Do we want to listen to a sample of it so everybody can hear what you're talking about? Yeah. I don't ask, I'll never know This may sound dumb, but here we go Do you believe in love at first sight? Me neither 
I'm glad that we agree, believe me, that's a big relief. Well, this place is awful crowded and this music is so loud. Would you like to go and grab a bite to eat? Me neither. Uh, I thought of another um, story from my youth about funny country songs. Yeah. Which was, I learned guitar in some part from my grandmother. It played like old like folk songs in church. And uh, so she would always invite me. And it, it's amazing that I kept liking playing guitar, actually, considering <laughs> this was part of my early guitar education. <laughs> she invited me to come up and like play guitar with her in her little like church band. And I swear, one of the first songs that we played, it probably was the 90s, was um, Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. Do you know that one? I don't think I know that one. Yeah, it was probably like a, a January slash February, like Super Bowl Super theme. Bowl time. Yeah. yeah. It's written by this guy named Paul Kraft, who has written some real gems. Yeah, Bobby Bear recorded that song. Well, yeah, that's a... If that's on Spotify, we'll have to add it to our little playlist of silly... It's a good one. Silly songs. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, like, legit re- recorded this. But that's awesome that that was in church. I feel like it's <laughs> from my an, grandmother. Oh yeah, it's an obviously silly song. Like she thought it was great. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, we're just talking about how these silly songs are great. But <laughs> I don't know. It seems like the in church take might be this too like blasphemous or something. Like don't make Jesus yeah. a field goal kicker. Right. He'd be the quarterback. He'd be the quarterback. <laughs> quarterback of your life. This is a quarterback. If not the coach. Be Baron Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> Brady and Belichick put together. Oh, Tim Tebow. If we're going to compare Tim Jesus Tebow. to anybody, it would be Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, all right. Yeah, a baseball player and a football player. <laughs> but not good at either one. But not good at either one, bless his heart. Yeah, I don't I don't really... I kind of remember this song coming out whenever it was in the 90s, but I just think that it's funny. There's other songs that kind of have the same take that are written by women, but I like that this, this one's just a funny one by a guy. It's funny, like, when this came out, there probably would have been no reason to remember if it like went, was barely in the top 25 mm-hmm. it's, it's obviously a silly song yeah and this guy wasn't famous yet it was just right right young yeah. Kid yeah. Brad yeah. Paisley. so it's funny it's not surprising I guess that someone like Johnny Cash or Willie Nelson could make a funny song after 30 years of being famous right 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 but to like build your career on it yeah mm-hmm. bold move Brad <laughs> I'm surprised that it went anywhere for this guy actually did uh, you guys read the story of like how the song was written no uh, they were in the car together right coming back from Myrtle Beach basically oh another Myrtle Beach yeah, reference Garden City South Carolina yeah inspiring yeah so apparently Brad and Chris Dubois and Frank Rogers are the three co-writers and they were driving back from Garden City to Nashville and Frank was in the back with a guitar and Brad was in the front with a notebook and they were basically just talking about like getting turned down by girls and started mm-hmm. building the song from there and said basically had it done by the time I got back to Nashville they finished it he claims somewhere between Knoxville and Nashville on 40 so All right. yeah it's a good road trip productive <laughs> Were they in Myrtle Beach for fun, or were they in Garden City for fun, or it were they? Said they were there writing for about a week, and it was really successful. Which I obviously they weren't going to Wings that much if they were obviously really successful. Not. Or at the Pavilion. <laughs> yeah. So why be at Myrtle Beach? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted like a bunch of their lyrics airbrushed on stuff, so they wouldn't forget them. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Immortalizing oh, those. Good pick. All right. What was the next one? The next is your pick. Oh, I thought we were doing yours, the Charlotte's in North Carolina. Okay, the next one is my pick. <laughs> Apparently. Which... Right, we were saving mine for last because it's it's my birthday today. All right, so the next one is Keith Whitley's Charlotte's in North Carolina, which was one of a few I threw out on a group text. I know Joe likes this song a lot. You said this was your most played on Spotify last year? Yeah, right? I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that. Why are you embarrassed to admit that? Yeah, especially in this company, I should be proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we're, we're not judging that. No, that was my 2018, according to my Spotify stats, my most played song. Yeah. What is it about this song that does it for you? Well, obviously, it tugs at your heartstrings a little bit, being it's about Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's clarify this first. She's in North Carolina. Well, you don't know this when you see the title of the song. Well, yeah, but but listening to the song, we know she's somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah. Charlotte is somewhere in North Carolina, the person. This is a good point. So she could be in a better area like the Triangle. Oh, Charlotte's her name. <laughs> I never... <laughs> <laughs> did you listen to this song? I did, but obviously not very closely. Okay, wow. This is the best example of why this song is great, I think. Because you don't know by the title that the whole thing is based around a joke. Right, okay. No, you don't. Even but... on the first listen, it can slip by you. 
Saying it was her baby night. I I'm gonna I'm gonna claim pregnancy brain, and I had not had my bojangles yet. I, I don't blame you at all. <laughs> well, and also, you know what? There's probably some listeners on our podcast that have never heard this song before. So why don't y'all just walk me through it? <laughs> okay, Spencer, you want to? <laughs> it's your most played song. You've got the. I ought to be able to summarize it. So it's uh, our our boy Keith is the, is the, is the protagonist here, and he's saying that his lady has left, and he has to let her leave, and so she's flown away, and now she's Charlotte's in North Carolina, back where she wanted to be. I see. Charlotte's, and this is the chorus. I think is kind of fascinating too. He said Charlotte's in North Carolina, and left me here in St. Louis misery. I think that's a funny line because it's hard to get like nitty gritty on like the songwritery brain, but. It would have been so much easier to say, and left me back here in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and make it like every other country song. Right, right, right. St. Louis, Misery is so specific. And also, Saint, no country songs mention St. Louis. Right, right, right. Yeah. Kind of an interesting twist there. Yeah. I wondered, I couldn't really find much about the songwriting of this one, which there were four co-writers on this, Dean Dillon. Blake Mevis, Ken Robbins, Dave Wills, who all wrote other stuff, obviously. Dean Dillon, I think, was the one who wrote a ton of George Strait songs yeah. and also Tennessee Whiskey, Spill Perfume, some other and he stuff. Wrote Miami, Miami. The yeah. Keith Willie song. Which yeah. And Ken Robbins wrote Street Tequila Night, which we've talked about. David Wills wrote Garth's Wild Horses. But yeah, I couldn't peg why. Like St. Louis was picked there. So that's interesting, yeah, that you brought well, that I up. I like Missouri and Misery. I mean, who pronounces it like that, right? Is that what he okay, was going to Okay, touche because I hadn't gotten that. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. I thought so that you, was the you whole picked point. Up, you picked up on the... <laughs> You did. You picked on the subtlety I, of that, which neither of us have, and I've listened to that song a good number of times. See, this is why I was ashamed to say that I've listened to it so many times. I didn't get that, damn. That's okay. I, and then the obvious nice one. Nice work. The, like, wink and the nod is literally written out in the, like, subtitle of this song. Yes. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, I don't know. So, I can make myself sound dumb again, if that would make you feel better. Sure, is yeah. Miami, Miami, a song about a girl named Miami, or is it about the actual city? It's both. My, my Amy, Miami, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ! So, that's the guy. This must be a Dean Dillon thing. He just looks for puns in city I names, like so. it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. But I think this also, if like, fits in with the, the discussion of me neither, because it's like country music has kind of, like internalize the rules or something mm-hmm. they're like you're supposed to be funny and they're supposed to be punchlines even when it isn't necessary like this is a heartfelt song right right you could have made like a, just a straight chorus like to the heart yeah and you can listen to it and not even realize that it's being funny so it's like you include it in there just as just because it's country song right yeah Charlotte, North Carolina which is funny yeah it's kind of like why not why not why yeah. not add that extra little wrinkle to it yeah or extra two wrinkles as we now know with the sorry guys I thought that one was pretty obvious <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been chastened. <laughs> How dare I not? No, seriously, I feel I feel ashamed. Oh, that's so funny. Well, do we want to listen to a clip? Since apparently I didn't listen to it closely <laughs> enough earlier this morning. Yeah, let's let's get let's it on there. My one thousandth time. Cause all it cost me was my heart to set my sweet Charlotte free. Charlotte's in North Carolina. So then whenever he actually says, set my sweet Charlotte free at one minute and 58 seconds into the song, then it makes sense that her name is Charlotte. But in the chorus at the beginning, the first chorus, I'm just defending myself for being an idiot here. (laughs) Well, we both missed, it's not even in St. Louis in misery, it's just St. Louis misery. misery. And he he definitely pronounces it a way where we're supposed to get it. So... Oops. Oops. Joke's Listen, so nice. we're all learning stuff together with our listeners. I'm also a great curious, opportunity. Rachel, I've heard you say that a phrase that I like to you, you really don't like adult contemporary country. Right. Do you? What do you think about this? Does this this is not that? that bad. Okay. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it's not as bad as some other contemporary country type stuff. It definitely has like an 80s production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like which. So this came out in '94 on his the. 
posthumous tribute album that came out. So he died in '89. So technically, so we've got a '99 and an '89. Basically, this one th- this one squeaks into. Yeah, yeah. So they put out on on that tribute album because they had I think four songs of his, including a Lori Morgan duet on. Uh, I bet I would hate that one. <laughs> probably does sound really adult contemporary oh yeah and she well, sang this, as a duet after he died right that was his widow that's oh weird. that is weird that was his widow and then she added vocals onto it after the fact well i don't know i mean i guess that was kind of the period that wasn't the first time that that happened because what wasn't that around the same time that nat king cole's daughter re-recorded yeah, wasn't that in the that. mid-90s uh, where she re-recorded one of his songs yeah, yeah, with yeah. him, which I remember thinking the technology for that was really cool, but then it also feels kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so that tribute album has our boy Joe Diffie on there mm-hmm. doing "I'm No Stranger to the Rain." Uh, oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of Alan Jackson's on there, Devin <clears throat> Rios on there, Tracy Lawrence. Uh, Alison Krauss. Obviously, Alison Krauss yeah, is a big one. With when you say nothing at all, that was the first appearance of that. Man, Keith just he just sells the song though. It's easy, you know. Here's my defense of missing anything about the song. You just gotta fa- you're just focusing on the on the voice. Yeah. One of country's great over singers. Yeah, I like. We were talking about this when it was playing the, like the emphasis when he just stretches out the now that now that phone's driving me up the wall. It hasn't rung all day. There's just like little bits, yeah, in the production of the song. I mean, it's pretty straight ahead. There's nothing like flashy over the top, but like that and like you were doing the guitar right before the first oh, chorus, like Stratocaster with the chorus pedal. Yeah, like yeah, super. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's nothing like very like flashy or like attention drawing. But there's like these little flourishes they throw in there. Yeah, that I really. He, He's cool too. How he he came from bluegrass, mm-hmm. and really like did his time in Ralph Stanley's band. And I think there's some great videos on YouTube of him imitating people's voices. He could do like a spot on uh, Lester Flat and Lefty Frizzell and all these old country guys and bluegrass guys. Like he had an incredible control of his voice. And then I think he also like like George Jones used it like too much. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's great. It's too much, and it's great. It's unfortunate for many reasons. Obviously, he died so young, but be interesting to see like where he took that in the 90s as country got stretched the boundaries of country more and more Ray Travis just had a a, a Christian phase instead of yeah instead of making good music (laughs) (laughs) we've decided that all 90s country musicians go through that phase they've got to get the dev award at some point that's one of the check (laughs) boxes he missed out on that unfortunately I I really didn't know that much about Keith Whitley until y'all brought him up as a possible song to do for this week so I learned a little bit reading about his stuff which all covered much better than I could have I feel like he has become or maybe has always been but gets a lot of props from like our generation of listeners who are into Americana E stuff mm-hmm. I mean y'all do a cover with Libby doing I'm Over You yeah right hard text on that and Mipso sung it too is he like one of the like if you were uh, an Americana hipster like you would have his record to brag about how cool you are I don't know he's still really country <laughs> I'm just thinking, like... Maybe that's too close to home of a question. <laughs> what I know, that's true. How self-aware are you right How now? How self-aware are you? Well, no, I'm, I'm just, like, <clears throat> Spencer, with your comment of, like, people in our generation really being into him. Because he's not as famous in the pop. He didn't make the pop jump in the 90s like a lot of people did, so he didn't right. become as mainstream famous as, like, a Tim McGraw or a Randy Travis. Which is exactly what an Americana hipster would say. <laughs> so that would be why an Americana hipster would like him, right? He was, right. like, before he got... Because before yeah. he got famous. Yeah, I mean, he died... I liked him, I liked him before he was cool. <laughs> I mean, he died in 89, so for most of us, that was very early on, yeah, so, know. you know... Yeah, I was negative one. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Sleeping on Keith Whitley. In the womb. <laughs> like, in the womb. So Shameful. you have to, like, you know, go back and kind of intentionally rediscover him, I feel yeah. like, through... And I found about, out about him through Bluegrass before I did his country stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I saw him as a kid in old videos from... Like Bluegrass Festival videos, and he was he was in the band, in um, Ralph Stanley's band with Ricky Skaggs, I think at the same time. Right. Yeah, and Ricky Skaggs was on that tribute album. Right. And he was and he, another guy who kind of made the country jump. Right. But you know, like when Alison Krauss put out that that cover 
of um, when you say nothing. When at you all. say nothing at all. Yeah, you know, in the mid '90s, that was kind of again the era where you heard it, but you couldn't go in, look it up on the internet, mm-hmm. and find out like, oh, this was first done by Keith Whitley. Let mm-hmm. me go listen to his version. So mm-hmm. you know, there weren't as many threads for someone that was like growing up then to like go back and be like, oh, this was the person yeah. who was originally responsible for this. Let me go check that out and dig into him some more. Mm-hmm. True. You know, thinking about the songs to do on this podcast, I didn't think about Alison Krauss, which was like a huge part of my life growing up. Yeah. That's because I almost, one, don't think of her as country music because she just transcended that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good example, like that's such a country song in Keith Whitley's hands, but then when she sings it, and I guess the production has a lot to do with it, right. but it became a, just an American song. Yeah. I don't know. So this might be a very big tangent to go on. Uh, let's do it. We but love a tangent. We had, that hasn't stopped us yet. <laughs> when Joe came over, we were talking about the controversy this week with the Lil Nas X song. Yeah. Old Town Road, which was charting on the Billboard country charts earlier this week. And then Billboard decided that was not a country, a country song, song, basically, and removed it from the country charts. And so we were getting his take on it which if you're willing to share with oh yeah I just think being a bouncer at the door of country is weird I mean of course to keep it country they have to call it something and let certain things in the charts but the song's about horses on the open trail and dusty roads and stuff right clearly is like paying tribute to country music also it's so obvious that white country artists have been ripping off black people Mm -hmm. all the time so when a black person wants to try to make a country song that they're pretty conspicuously excluded that seems kind of obvious yeah well and in in listening to the song and comparing it to some of the other stuff that is identified as country by billboard and and the other powers that be i think the only difference is the baseline and you know the bass on the the kind of beat that they have if you remove that it sounds exactly like some stupid jason aldean song totally that you know modern country now is tapping into those types of beats and rhythms that have historically been seen in rap and hip-hop and other primarily african-american genres and i think country has not yet the white arson country have not yet lifted like the trap style of rap and use that yet because it's a little bit behind the times when they lift something from rap and so i think it's like 2020 country's just going to be trap music (laughs) but i mean i think if crap (laughs) (laughs) so i mean yeah like florida georgia line had nelly on that remix of cruise and Mm -hmm. Ludacris was on that remix of dirt road anthem so it seems weird to be like all right cool we'll use black rap artists on like remixes of these hits totally when we already have a foot in the door but if someone that was getting played on a country station apparently that's as best i can tell kind of like why he was eligible for the billboard country charts he was getting played on a country station so then to kind of go in and like be a gatekeeper after the fact is kind of weird mm-hmm. like also a lot of country songs will like reference rap now in the song yeah, that's, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. there's one with like that the chorus is like rolling down the road listening to drake i heard that on the radio recently <laughs> i haven't heard it's that like, you but can't i have believe it both you ways you know you right like keep them out I mean, my first, first time i realized it was that blake shelton song boys around here you know, know that, that one, one. It's yeah. using uh, from like maybe three or four years ago using uh, a beat not drums and he's talking about the boys around here drinking our ice cold beer kind of standard fare and one of the lines is we don't do the dougie no not in kentucky and I was like, come on, man. That's a dog whistle if I've ever heard Yeah, 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 for cool. real. That's It's this kind of thing where they're trying to, like, take in this culture, but also, like, keep it at arm's length. Yeah, keep yeah. a distance from it. And the, one of the things, I mean, if, if you really get down to the roots of country music, where... Like what it like how it's evolved over time. Like it's it's rooted in black and I mean same as like rock and roll. It's rooted totally. in black musicians, and so it's it's really I don't know tacky to then like try and keep them out just because they went up on the top of the charts faster than anybody else, and you were upset because they. Yeah. Well, it's racist. It's very American in that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and this one, it was at 19. So this other thing, they were like threatened by a song. I thought that it was at the top of some list. Maybe it was like the top of the country downloads on Maybe iTunes something or something. Maybe like that. Yeah, I think it was. Because yeah. I think he classified it on 
the streaming platforms mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. download platforms this country but on Billboard it debuted at 19 which like to be threatened by a song charting at 19 which yeah it could have gone higher but that seems very odd to me like really what what does it matter yeah. is like what I'm thinking it's like yeah. well and then to kind of go back to the two songs that we've already talked about like you might argue that that song is kind of a parody so again why are you being threatened by a song that some people would perceive as a parody hmm. of you know a rapper singing I don't know the guy maybe, maybe he actually has a horse I just assume he does <laughs> that's right so how, how do we know <laughs> hard to say it was a parody it definitely seems like it's intended to be like a real song Mm -hmm. but yeah thinking back too to like the roots of country music when it was there was the race records and the hillbilly records right and the the invention of the genre was explicitly to keep out black people Mm -hmm. and some of my favorite folks from I mean I listen to and like learn from a lot of bluegrass which isn't really the topic of this podcast but like some of those early guys like Bill Monroe like learned to play from Mm -hmm. black blues players and Mm -hmm. it was cool that that was their whole thing was like what made an American I would say right that it was Syncretic, right? Like there's yeah. a, a mixture of all that stuff. Well, and I was going to ask you this: like you guys, Mipso have been to the top of the Billboard Bluegrass charts, but right. <laughs> not strictly bluegrass sounding, in my opinion. Like, have you guys? That's funny. I didn't think of that. Yeah, had that pushback at all? We never submitted our name as a bluegrass band. I mean, the most we did to like put ourselves in that category was make the music we make and have acoustic instruments on our records, right? And probably and someone some, told some, us that we were on the bluegrass charts, and I genuinely thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, it's not the kind of thing you can like t- t- take away. And I'm grateful that people listen to our stuff, right. of course. So whatever you want to category you want to put it in, that's fine. But yeah. the categorization of music, especially when you get into these like subgenres of genres, mm-hmm. is really really weird. Well, well, and I feel like everybody would define something differently, and it also depends on what you're listening to. Like one Mipso song is going to sound more bluegrass than another just depending on the production and the instruments and just how it sounds so it's like how do you actually categorize it's so it's really comp i'm glad i don't have to do it because you look at you guys i can just sit here and talk shit about it (laughs) you've got a fiddle and you've got mandolin and Mm -hmm. acoustic guitar and stand-up bass and i think that's still a big part of it and like this you know you look at this and it's like oh there's this you know he he didn't have people playing banjo on this he sampled banjo and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so I feel like that kind of well and Joe you said earlier he just needs to re-release it with some of those more traditional sounding instruments that would be a funny way to like call their bluff I think Put it out with a little pedal steel and, like, you know, change the drum beat slightly and say, yeah. all right, it's country now. It's country oh, yeah. now. Yeah. Let me in the door, right? Yeah. That would be awesome. All right. I'll be his manager. <laughs> What's his name? Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X. Right. Which is also the strangest name. Um, no. Like have you listened? Just... Have you... There's a lot of strange artist names these days. <laughs> I just, I feel like he chose his, like, three favorite rappers and just <laughs> took, like, you know, pieces of their names. So obviously his three favorite rappers are Lil Bow Wow, <laughs> Nos. Nos, and DMX. Obviously, right? And he just mixed all of those into his name. Apparently. I love how I, that's all, what your, I th- all your that's rap what references I... are from. <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> Lil we... Bow Wow is the one that you're referencing. There's plenty of Lil's, but Bow Wow. We are on brand on this podcast yeah. as far as 90s goes. Well, it's funny, like we put up the episode yesterday where we were talking about Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn mm-hmm. and then Fat Tony who has played around here a few times put some videos up this week on Twitter where he was DJing and used that I think he was actually rapping over that but wasn't including mm-hmm. the clip uh, because he said he's been doing that during his sets so he was working Neon Moon into his stuff hmm. and so there's definitely like there's so cross- much potential for crossover yeah if you don't you know, if you're open and you don't want to put stuff in categories. Yeah. And we were talking about that song being like pretty open to other genre interpretations too on that. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he nailed it. And I mean, apparently, as we learned from Wikipedia last time, that song may be about hanging out at a strip club. club. So, universal theme, not <laughs> as much as like being on a tractor and all that. So, Every, you know. Everybody of any background, any genre of music <laughs> knows about going to a strip club. <laughs> Yeah, women in the world love this pastime. I'm sure they... 
Oh, that was a great tangent. Thanks for starting that. Yeah, thanks, yeah. I feel like we were debating someone that isn't here. This is good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We need a we need a billboard representative to fight. We'll track we'll down. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. someone will claim that <laughs> comment about how it didn't meet the country music standards or whatever. Okay. So, did you have any other thoughts about the uh, Keith Whitley song since we went on that tangent? Or are we ready to transition to the last one? I have so many thoughts. Well, bring, bring no, him I, to the table. <laughs> Come on. I got a shout out to my brother who sh- showed me that song last year. He showed me a lot of great country songs. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay. <laughs> shout out to your brother. Shout out to my brother Patrick, yeah. <laughs> Whose mustache is better than yours or not? Definitely. More central to his identity. Okay. More seasoned. And therefore also. better. More nice. seasoned, yeah. yeah. More seasoned. It's a like like cast it. iron skillet, his mustache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad we know that you look good with one because we're gonna have our neon boots like Halloween party that we are, are definitely. That's gonna, gonna be make. a thing. Yeah, so that opens the door to more possibilities for you in costume. Is what I'm saying. Thank you. If you can have the mustache, also. Yeah, I can think of a lot of things. Yeah. yeah so. And Just you Milford can... Brimley, uh, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yes, all of those. Well, I all of those have... '90s country stars. All those '90s country musicians. <laughs> I'll be Joe Diffie Yeah. There's going to be a lot of Joe Diffies, I think. You and Alex are going to have to fight each other over the Joe Diffie look, because he nailed it pretty good. Yeah. He's got it, or he does. Yeah, yeah. he's got the, the mullet going. Yeah. Who else has got a stash? Randy Travis? Jamie Kershaw? I think if you go back and look at the 90s photos, there's going to be they a lot of them. at some point. You know? Cool. You're or, covered. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dwight Yoakam didn't have a mustache ever, did he? Um. I was just, I was transition. just like really working hard for that transition there. Did you, though? No, not really. <laughs> so the song that I chose was Dwight Yoakam's. Well, actually, somebody else chose it, and I co-opted it. <laughs> Joe, did you? were you the one that suggested this one? I think Spencer and I had a back and forth about Dwight. And yeah. And this is one that I And like, this is yeah. the one. because I suggested again, a different Dwight Yoakam song, and then it got turned into this, yeah. which is fine. And this was an, another situation like Reba that I was giving you a hard time about where you said you didn't rem- really remember this Yeah, song. once I listened to it, I, I did. But I didn't grow up on a lot of Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, so we were talking about that earlier. So with Ain't That Lonely Yet, like I, I remember hearing this on the radio as well as a lot of the other songs from that album. That was the This Time album that also included Thousand Miles From Nowhere and Fast mm-hmm. As You and a couple of others. So I don't know if maybe just the country station that I grew up listening to was more of a Dwight fan. But we were talking earlier, like, it it may be argued as to whether or not Dwight fits into the same category as your Garth Brooks and your your other kind of, you know, uh, 90s country musicians. Yeah, because he's not really part of the Nashville machine. Mm -hmm. And he also had been doing his sort of Bakersfield throwback sound before it was cool. He kind mm-hmm. of brought it back. And I've read something about him in the 80s when the whole country politan thing was like in full swing and it was not cool at all to have old school stuff. He was playing like Tuesday nights and like, you know, grungy bars playing his old Bakersfield songs. Yeah. Kind of like he gets some major authenticity points for sticking it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, this album came out in 93. His first one came out a few years before that. He was 30 by the point right. that first album came out for him. So he definitely had, he was grinding out for a while. And I mean, yeah, I think he's pretty, you know, sticks to some traditions there, which obviously at that point, as it was getting to the mid-90s, plenty of people were okay with leaving behind a lot of the traditional elements. And, I mean, Fast As You, I would say, kind of isn't strictly traditional or anything like that. That's the one I remember most from growing up. I just don't think I grew up around a lot of, like, Dwight Yoakam albums, and so Mm -hmm. they weren't as familiar to me. I don't know. Well, and you also didn't have, like, your CMT. I felt like... Dwight Yoakam was one of those that, that ended up on CMT and TNN a lot because of his tight jeans. And, and well-deserved. And well-deserved. I mean, the man could pull off, can still pull off some tight jeans. Did y'all see him at Hopscotch? I did see him at Hopscotch. Did not. Oh, my gosh. I saw him at Merlefest that same era, though. I think. Oh, yeah. nice. The, one of... One thing that I learned from from that, so I I met, I think his guitar player was like bouncing around Raleigh after they played, and we were at Ruby Deluxe, which is just like not where you would expect a guitar player for Dwight Yoakam to end up, 
But he was saying that they all wear Dwight's jackets. Like, they all wear his rhinestone stuff, and it's his stuff that he has had for years. And so he made the joke that you can't be in Dwight's band unless you are the same same size, same size as him. <laughs> That's great. Man, it'd be hard so to that be you the same can waist all fit. Size, yeah, right. Gotta, he looks good in that in this video for the song too. Mm-hmm. In this sort of like acid wash type jeans with like rips all down the front, and then like a blue, a blue duster and a cowboy hat. <laughs> I w- I will say, you know, you're talking about the music videos, too, and, like, him being a presence of there. He definitely has a distinct look from other 90s country dudes. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, is that Mark Chestnut or someone? You know, it's just like, oh, it's Dwight Yoakam. Like, he does not look the same as everyone else of the era. It's just like he came into the mainstream as himself and stayed himself. Right. That's that's kind of a rare thing, because what we're talking about, really, with the 90s country thing, it's like there was this machine that kind of homogenized totally, but, like, there was expectations of about what it meant to be a country mm-hmm. star. Well, and we've we've talked about that multiple times. I think it, BJ first brought it up about at that point in time, like for you to be successful in the Nashville machine, you had to not only be able to sound the part, but you had to look the part. So, you know, that's when you get your Garth Brooks's that are not. And who was it that you think is handsome? Mark Chestnut? Clay Walker. Clay Walker. <laughs> is that the Ted Cruz guy you were talking about? <laughs> no, but it was the same episode. Yeah. Mark Chestnut is the Ted Cruz guy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, like you got your taste, Spencer. It's it's, fine. But, I'm just, but I mean, it was that era where I'm not attracted to him. No, he's an objectively. You can say that he's a handsome man. He is. Like, I'm just so, like giving well, you a hard time. I'm attracted about to Ayokum, but Rachel apparently you're not. No, I am. Like, but not in the not in the looks way. In the like his broodiness. <laughs> mysteriousness like mm, there's something about that I don't really think that he's attractive like I would never like but he has a mystique but he has a mystique so it's more about <laughs> what's he doing big picture down by the railroad tracks in this abandoned yeah industrial park it's like why do you why do you look so sad Dwight like I want to make you feel better like that's Aww. the <laughs> in your little, yeah, post-apocalyptic <laughs> graffiti landscape. Right. I mean, it's kind of the the same thing that, you know, what, why do girls think that, like, Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessionals was good-looking? He wasn't really that good-looking, but he was like a sad puppy dog, and you just want to take care of him. Hey, you want to answer that. <laughs> so Complex s- feelings about Speaking of Outsiders, <laughs> one of the co-writers of the song... Costas yeah. is a Greek man who moved to Montana when he was seven and became a country songwriter, which is just a really interesting background to me. Yeah. And he's written some other stuff for Dwight Yoakam or co-written mm-hmm. some other stuff for Dwight Yoakam. Well, and his, his first cut was a Patty Loveless song that did really well on the charts. Yeah, he wrote several for her. Mm-hmm. The first one was Timber, I'm Falling in Love, and that was in 89, and then I think after that he just kept killing it yeah. with the songwriting. Which that song isn't really country too much. I mm-hmm. mean, if it wasn't Patty Loveless, I don't think that would have been a Probably. country charting song. But, yeah, it's... Can't a, rewrite history, but it sure <laughs> was, you know? <laughs> kick, her, kick her off the country charts. <laughs> put, her, put her on pop. He also wrote Dixie Chicks, I Can Love You Better, which... I mean, I feel like that one sounds country just because of Natalie's voice, right? Yeah. Just the twang that she sings it with. Right. Yeah, so he was giving them, or they were getting in the hands of country singers. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, thematically, they probably would not be considered a country song. Right. Speaking of in the hands of country <laughs> singers, we get back into the little Nas X conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is it or is it not? Is it country? I mean, there's Eternal no horses question. in any of these songs. <laughs> but speaking, that's true. Is that white people can sing about anything in this country. What is this, a, a, a black person wants to make a country song about horses, and they're still not allowed to make a country song? It's not. We keep not interrupting right. Spencer. It's Sorry, okay. Spencer. It's, I don't. I don't really want to talk about this, but I feel like I have to. I've been trying to not confront this. So the Uh-oh. other. 
The other co-writer was James House, mm-hmm. who sang on the unfortunate 1996 Beach Boys, technically Beach Boys album, Stars and Stripes, where the Beach Boys were on there singing background vocals, and then they had country singers singing the lead vocals and kind of making the songs slightly more country, and no one asked for that. And I think it was just the Beach Boys in the 90s. They'd already done Full House, you know, I guess. They were just looking to stay relevant. I guess, you know, Lori Laughlin, you know, she could have picked up some money at the time. She wasn't saving for her college fund yet for her kids, right? (laughs) Like, she could have thrown them some money for that performance. But, like, they, they were just like, oh, so country is a thing. So let's just hitch our wagon to that. And that was not. You gotta follow the money. The wagon they should have hitched it to. And we've taught I love the Beach Boys, and it makes me sad when it's like they made some questionable decisions where legacy was not really. It was tainted, I would say. But but is that James House's fault? It's not. I mean, he just does a very forgettable little deuce coupe, which is also he's not like a well-known country singer. So it's interesting. They're like he did have one song in '95 called "This Is Me Missing You," which I listened to and I kind of recognized that song. Oh yeah. But I, I think he did a lot better as a songwriter for Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, I mean, so Willie Nelson's on here doing the warmth of the sun. Lori Morgan's on here. Sorry, Brown's on here. Early Toby Keith. There's oh. also, because this is volume one, that was never a volume two, fortunately, <laughs> but Tammy Wynette did... Wow, they were really up some wishful thinking. Yeah. Volume, calling them, calling yeah, volume one, just off the bat. Tammy wow. Wynette did In My Room, which is, as these versions went, was actually not as bad, but I just have tried to, like, not acknowledge that this album existed. I'm really glad that, I mean, that was right at the time when that would have totally made sense for me to own or ask for this album to be purchased for me. Thank you, Mom, for not buying this album for me, because I think now I'm more willing, like, as an adult, I can confront disappointment better than I could as an 11-year-old. This would have been really just, it would have messed me up. I'm about to disappoint you then. So you mentioned In My Room. I didn't know that that was a Beach Boys song. Hmm. I just, Who did you think it was? I just knew it as a song that was on the Friends soundtrack. <laughs> Who's saying that one? Grant Lee Buffalo. I just had to look it up. Oh, because I forgot. I was like, That's a really that, 90s band. But it was on Friends, and that compilation album got a lot of spins on my CD player. I believe it. I just... <laughs> I've never I heard that version. I didn't know that it was the Beach Boys, so... Is so, it the same song? It is. I just looked it Spencer, up. the... The cover doesn't bother you, but something about country people singing their song and having the Beach Boys on it in the background is like worse. Yeah, right? if the Beach Boys wasn't I, I, on like it, were, right, right. Bad? I think it's like they bought into this idea, or someone mm-hmm. right. with the Convinced Beach Boys it. bought into this yeah. idea. It's not just like, hey, it's country song- singers doing country versions yeah. of Beach Boys. Like, you know, it's like for walking to the mailbox and getting their cover money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and but they can really singing. stop them. But this is like someone in their camp brought in these singers and was like. This is a good idea to slightly countryfy these songs. And then you know what Beach Boys are known for? All their harmonies and vocals. So let's just kick them to the background. They're going to be backing up. Yeah, they're going to be backing up the very forgettable Colin Ray. And then on Sloop John B. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we're here for. Like, that's the vocals we want is Colin Ray on Sloop John B. Let's just kind of, you know, fade the Beach Boys to the background. And, yeah. Spencer has a lot of feelings about this. it's, It's... Upsetting. Like, we're, like, you know, the chipmunks on, there's no chipmunks legacy to be destroyed. I mean, I guess kind of, but, and like the, the country does Disney one we've talked about. There's but a lot wait, of, what if, what if the chipmunks did a Beach Boys album? How would you feel about that? They probably that? did, but like the Beach Boys didn't have to sign off on that. You know, they could have just done those songs, yeah. right? And no one could stop them. So you're disappointed in your heroes is what it comes down to. Yes. Heroes and villains, and the villains of these are all these <laughs> country singers. And uh, I think that I think the true villain is whoever convinced the Beach Boys well, to do yeah. that. I will say this: I don't remember this guy. Apparently, had a number one in the '90s, but one of the vocalists, Doug Supernall. That's like such a country sound. Supernall. Super that? Super. 
No, N A W. N A W. Yep. Is it, that's not his real birth name. That's not on his. It's birth like Douglas Anderson Supernaw. It's like the three levels of saying no. It's like no, nah, hell no, nah, it's Supernaw. <laughs> Supernaw, bro. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be a Supernaw, no. good buddy. Am I gonna sing on that Beach Boys album? Supernaw. Supernaw. <laughs> should they make it Supernaw? <laughs> Someone should have listened to that. Yeah. So yeah, so we can go back to the. Let's go know. back to Dwight. Um, yeah. Let's go back to this song because it won Grammy for Best Country Vocal Performance. Yeah, good Dwight. In 1994, which I think that that's kind of funny with our conversation saying that Dwight didn't really fit you know, the Nashville machine that was pumping stuff out in the mid-90s, but whoever was in charge of the Grammys, like, recognized this as a good country song, sure. even though it didn't fit in that, like, everything else. Right, like so, how much of an outsider can you be if you're, right. if you're winning the Grammy for Best Country? Yeah, so, I mean, I would say, generally speaking, and I have no basis, really, for this, but in what I've looked at, I think the Grammys have a broader definition of country album, country mm-hmm. song, best. So would they so would they recognize Little Nas X <laughs> on we'll have to see if they get probably I mean they didn't mm-hmm. let apparently uh, Beyonce put Daddy Lessons yeah. up for a country award. But you know, I would say there's a little bit, you know, Casey Musgraves won for Space Cowboy this year. And, and that's not really a country album. Yeah, and yeah, Sturgill won, and he wasn't even nominated for the country awards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know Taylor Swift has won it a couple times uh, for best country song, but yeah, I think like the Academy of Country Music and the CMAs are a little bit more the Nashville machine, mm-hmm. where they're going to not let the they're not going to uh, let Sturgill in. He's going to sit outside with his Grammy and play the guitar, and right? Collect cash. Yeah, apparently the Alan Jackson Jimmy Buffett duet version of "It's Five O'clock Somewhere" won. The Grammy in 2004, which oh yeah, it's not even a country. It's just bringing back the Jimmy Buffett song. It's not that, best performance. I'll it's, actually say I didn't I didn't realize that that one. And thinking about it, I'm surprised that Alan Jack that he would do that duet with Alan Jackson because I very much consider Kenny Chesney to be the Jimmy Buffett of country music. Yeah, and now Zach Brown kind of too. Yeah, I don't really listen. All the songs are about. Yeah, being on the margaritas. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> margaritas. Flip-flops. Yeah, Kenny Chesney, it's uh, the the summertime vibe. Mm-hmm. God, I hate that stuff. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh man, I can't do that. I'm I mean, to the to the untrained ear, I guess there's a whole not much difference between Brad Paisley and Kenny Chesney, but whew. Well, I guess I also like grew up hanging out in Myrtle Beach, so maybe I just have a, a different uh, tolerance for that type of stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're just gonna find a way to talk about Myrtle Beach in every episode. Kenny's voice is, well, just a tangent again, but. Oh, but speaking of voices, okay, Dwight's voice, this is one thing I thought of. You know, on a lot of um, the Shania Twain records, Mm -hmm. any man of mine I was thinking about, which y'all have talked about before, Yeah, the person that sings harmony with her sounds just like Dwight Yoakam. And so my brother and I were looking this up, and it's not. It's actually the producer, Mutt Mutt. Lange, yeah, Mm -hmm. sings like a spot-on impersonation of Dwight Yoakam. The exact same kind of like nasally whine of country voice. I've never heard like his stuff like solo. Like isolated? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's recorded anything that's like you could hear his lead vocal. But I have a feeling as much studio stuff as he's done, he just got to the point where you're like, oh, we need someone to sound kind of Dwight Yoakam here. All right, cool, I'll I'll do that. Because like they spent like hours and hours and hours and hours just mm-hmm. like tweaking like the exact drum sound for this one mm-hmm. part you know they, so they every syllable right 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 yeah. yeah you sent us that article right a long time ago about a long time ago a few months ago about how careful they went through the production of that so I feel like he probably just got to the point where he's like I can just do exactly what I'm hearing in my I need. yeah yeah well but also I mean if that's true what a talent that he can oh, yeah. manipulate his voice in that way to sound like Dwight Yoakam singing mm-hmm. back up for Shania Twain. Should we listen to Dwight Yoakam yeah, sing Ain't talk- That Lonely Yet? Since <laughs> talking a lot about everything except for this song. So let's listen to it. So 
while we were listening to that song, I was looking at the lyrics, and I, I'm curious. It seems like he might be singing about two different ladies. I know, Spencer, you said that the lyric about Spider in My Bed is kind of weird. But in reading it, it seems like maybe there was this woman that he was with, and he got caught up and, and brokenhearted, bless his heart. And then because of that experience, he's not going to go back to this new woman that he recently broke up with or got dumped by. I don't necessarily, I have not yet taken that that way. I guess you could. I mean, Maybe I don't, I'm just going way too deep. I don't think the spider my bed line is necessarily weird. I think it's a little bit like out of place in the rest of the song where a lot of it is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But then he jumps into this metaphor where he gets caught up in her web of love and lies. And I, I like that metaphor. It's, it's cool. But it's kind of out place where it's just like you know well it kind of makes me wonder about the songwriting process and we were talking about this earlier as to you know the kind of behind the music story was that the Costas guy and James House were hanging out and Costas asked House if he was gonna end up going back out with this girl he'd recently broken up with and House was like nah I ain't that lonely yet and they like looked at each other and were like shit we gotta write this song (laughs) and so it just makes me since there is kind of like that I don't know difference in the types of lyrics it makes me wonder what the process was yeah apparently they had like four or five more verses that they didn't use is what I read so Ooh. you know apparently it was just streaming out of them mm-hmm. they start playing the melody to the verse and were just you know writing down lyrics as they came up and mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes in they were singing the first verse and all that and Costas apparently was the one that came up with the spider metaphor but yeah they may have just kind of chosen the best verses not necessarily tried to tie them, Make them super strongly together. Yeah. But it does change from you to she, so it does seem Yeah, like so there's some credence to my deep reading of the lyrics. <laughs> That's well, the you're here, most work I've done. <laughs> yeah, you're here for the deep readings of stuff that we're not picking like up on. Like misery and Missouri. <laughs> yeah, just not the on-the-nose parts. That, I'm not going to forget, but I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night for weeks thinking Oh, sorry, no! <laughs> It's the kind of thing I'm supposed to notice. Well, so now you're just, that's going to be your number one song for 2019 because you're going to go back and obsess over that. (laughs) Just edit to that clip alone. uh, Does it count as a play if I'm just looping that one 10 second section? Uh, But I I don't know. I really like this song. I, I like that Dwight album just all this all the, I mean there's so many songs that were hits and yeah we were talking about his voice I just love his voice he gets some major credit too like obviously he's a good actor and he's played some really interesting characters he's not just like uh, not to pick on him too much but Randy Travis was in some <laughs> bad movies mm-hmm. uh, Dwight Yoakam has played some real characters he has an actor and he's very aesthetically aware like he's, his look has always been different his album covers are cool he mm-hmm. helps direct his videos as we mentioned as, as right. yeah. they may be I think we got to give some major <laughs> yeah. credit There was an interesting article that Spencer and I both came across separately that was in the L.A. Times written in April of 93 when he was recording the video for this song. And it it kind of tells a little bit about like the writer's experience watching Dwight Yoakam act and direct act in quotations and direct <laughs> in, in this, yeah in this music video and at that same time like he was in some theater production and he was going out for roles which I think again trying to compare him to the more traditional Nashville like I feel like other Nashville musicians if you look at like Reba and other people like they were first country artists and then they became actors whereas I feel like Dwight is just an artist and And as a Californian the Hollywood thing came a little more naturally yeah maybe exactly and then I guess I spoiled it because we were talking earlier about how he was one of the bad guys in the panic room. So, spoiler alert. Baby. So now you're going to put that out for everyone, yeah. not just us. Um, I'm sorry. That movie came out in 2002. If you hadn't seen it yet. I'm getting around to it. It's on the queue. Is it in the queue? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's, not a bad, it's not a bad movie. I do remember, as I was saying earlier, like watching it and being like, I thought that Dwight Yoakam was in this movie and then realizing that it was him. It also doesn't like look like him because his hair is cut really short or he might be like sh- it might be completely shaved bald he's a spooky looking dude seeing Dwight Yoakam without the cowboy hat and the boots 
It was just Tight pants. very, and yeah, I think he was wearing loose pants in this. Whoa. What? Whoa. It was just very strange. Yeah, like, of that's his ass not is like his fingerprint. I don't right? Recognize How am I supposed to know that that's Ryoko? <laughs> you don't wear Jinkos, right? <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm glad that we chose this one and had a chance to talk about Dwight because I like Bit of a him. different figure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, do you want to talk about what you're up to next with Mipso or otherwise? I know you guys have a ton of tour dates and festivals coming up. We do. We've just finished a couple of long tours. We opened up for I'm With Her, which is cool. I got to play a bunch of great spots and done a lot of opening gigs. That was good. And but now we're moving on to the time of year that's more about like festivals and weekend stuff. Yeah, we got a little run coming up with Chatham County Line, some fellow North Carolinians. Right. Yeah. Then we're playing uh, around here, doing the big Museum of Art shows at the end of the summer. So the Chatham County Line ones are early May. Yeah, well, right? Wilmington. Wilmington, and, and we're making some, some new music. We're getting together and working on some writing and trying to cool. and make a new record. Nice. We got to do it sometime. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, and the. And the Hard Tug, okay, Hard Tug is supposedly planning a show at this, like, outdoor beach bar on Kitty Hawk, I think. Oh, I it's thought like, you were going to say on the one pier. in Raleigh. And there's, like, a pier <laughs> out over the water, and they actually have bands. That's, I think that's a perfect gig for us. Is this something that we have to delete from the record? No, I mean, I want to say it to will it to become true. <laughs> Just like Rachel having giving birth at the, what, the concert, was it? Any of them. It yeah, might happen yeah. at Lizzo. It might happen at Alan Jackson. The more it might you talk about it. Joe Diffie. That's the one. Yeah. That's, that's the one we're talking about. We want you to give birth at the Joe Diffie concert. <laughs> that's my vote. Okay. Well, I hope that happens. I hope that's a time when I can. What, me giving birth at Joe Diffie oh, or well, Kitty Hawk? All of, all of <laughs> the above. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be just one. I, that would be if I've never been. Been out mm-hmm. to Kitty Hawk before. Really? I would make that road trip. Mm-hmm. Y'all yeah, come down. That would be. Yeah. I think y'all should make a set list, and it'll be our duty to learn all those tunes. Uh, we will absolutely Ooh. do that. It'll be your live jukebox, physical band jukebox. That sounds that. like a I'm lot not, of fun. I'm not cutting that out of this. It's like, all right, these are promises made. <laughs> promises <laughs> on, made on right. record. Tell my bandmates it was my fault. All right, so we've got that to look forward to. I'm sure we'll update if that actually yeah. happens, even if it's not our set list, but if that happens at all. But, <laughs> yeah, festivals all over the U.S. this summer, it looks like. I saw the other day that 2% of our listeners are coming from Germany, so I don't know if y'all have any German tour days coming up. But uh, Oh, I bet that's my friend Lowell and Briggs. Shout out. <laughs> is, are they specifically in the Baden-Württemberg region? I don't know where if they so, are. If so, that's where it's telling us the big number of our German <laughs> listeners are coming from. Well, Lowell and Briggs, we're coming there in October. Oh, Ooh. go check them out. Oh. Well, we've had that exclusive tour date announcement, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> don't tell anyone. That's fine. <laughs> don't tell anyone. Our, our millions of listeners are going to break that out so oops well cool well thanks for hanging out with us yeah and indulging all of our ramblings today thanks for uh you know if it wasn't if i wasn't here i'd be talking to somebody else about bad old country songs (laughs) (laughs) thanks for letting me do it with you very good thanks so much guys we'll talk to you next time bye everybody are you going to say bye to your mom wow bye mom i was getting there (laughs) bye spencer's mom (laughs) Bye, y'all. Drop kick me Jesus to the goalpost of life. End over end, neither left nor to right. Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me Jesus to the goalpost of life. Yeah, drop kick me Jesus to the goalpost of life. End over end.